It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Coming up, all the news and notes you can handle from day five of Vikings training camp. Plus, could the team be looking at adding a premium free agent to the offensive line? We're breaking it all down. It's coming up next on the Minnesota Football Party. Locked on Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next-level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings' Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Back in the lab, another edition, Football Party, Locked On Sports, Minnesota Network, Daily Breakdown, everything Minnesota Vikings. That's Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom, co-host of the Ron Johnson Show every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Special Tuesday guest today, it's everyone's favorite. You know him, we love him, host of Locked On Vikings, Luke Braun on Twitter, at Luke Braun NFL. Luke, you're live in Minnesota. You'll be out at TCO all week long, so be sure to keep tabs on all his updates from camp up on Lockdown Vikings. Meanwhile, Sam, you've been out at TCO covering camp every day possible, so excited to pick your brain about practice number five, all your news and notes you've collected thus far. And I know yesterday we finally got to hear the pads pop, so can't wait to hear about some of the trench play. But first things first, I mean, how are you holding up outside with these long days in that scorching heat? You got any veteran words of wisdom for Luke Brown out there today? <laughs> yeah, well, these these bright lights here, they kind of pale me out. But rest assured, there is a good base level of tan going on uh, behind the bright lights. Wear sunscreen. Uh, find some shade. It's going to be another scorcher week here. I know you've got sort of the tolerance built up from those California heat waves, but oh, yeah. we're going to, we're talking 90, probably heat index 95 this week again. So it's going to be a scorcher today. Pads back on again. Um, you know, the hardest thing for me, biggest first world problems ever, honestly, standing for mm-hmm. like a couple hours a day. Mm-hmm. it's hard. I don't know how people have jobs like generally in the security realm where they have to stand and keep watch for like eight hours. A it's day. that Seinfeld episode where George Costanza gets the security <laughs> yes. guard right at the clothing. He shop insists chair. that he get the chair, but if he sits down, he falls asleep. <laughs> so what's <laughs> the rules and regulations the on that, Sam? Could you uh, just roll in with like a folding chair, right? Like around your back and then just pop that bad boy out there. What do you think? They yeah, I, I, you know, I think the old school coaches like the Bud Grants, the Mike Zimmers, the Jerry Burns, they probably would have pointed to him and said, get him on his feet. No sitting at football practice. But Kevin O'Connell, 
he runs a pretty loose ship. I, I think that he'd probably let it fly. Uh, we got training camp winners and losers, potential roster moves coming up. But first, quick reminder, don't forget this episode brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, plenty of practice observations I do want to dive into from yesterday. But first, let's start here with the most recent breaking news because yesterday it was reported Dalton Reisner was on his way to Egan to meet with the team and I mean, this guy's widely considered one of the top players of any position out in the free agency pool. Uh, guys, let's take a step back here first. A little broad overview. Go back to the start of the offseason where we all kind of sat back and wondered, asked ourselves, what's the plan with this starting five? Because on one hand, you got two premium bookend tackles. On the inside, you got a first and two second round picks all who are still either on their rookie deal or, I guess, in Bradbury's case, entering what would be, you hope, the prime of his career in year five. So you've already invested a lot of premium draft capital on these young guys. But on the other hand, the problem lies in the fact that on paper, this group was just not very good last year, right? I mean, the run game was super inefficient. You got Kirk Cousins enduring the most sacks and pressures of his career. But when we get to the offseason, Quasey doesn't invest one single draft pick on the offensive line. Nobody in free agency. Instead, they bring Bradbury back, try to sell everybody in the fan base on the, the continuity, right, of the starting five being back. And that will make some sort of dramatic improvement from year one to year two. But turns out Quasey might still have a trick up his sleeve here with the potential addition of Reisner. He started 62 games in Denver. I always thought it was a little odd. He never got any action or more steam at the start of free agency. Yet, I mean, here we are. Luke, I'll start with you, the burning question. If the Vikings do bring him in, whose job is he taking, first and foremost? And two, just being the cap wizard that you are, what kind of potential deal would you expect if you had to guess? Or should we be happy with if a deal does, in fact, go down? So when you, whenever you sign a guy in July or August, the deal is always like way smaller than what he would get if this were happening in March. Um, this is not a three year, you know, 10 mil a year. Here's your our guard now kind of deal. When you're this late in the game, you're just happy to get into a camp. So and you can kind of like that, that affects the negotiating leverage. So we're talking one year deal, two ish million, something like looks like, you know, what Jesse Davis was making when he was supposed to be a Viking. Um, and then in terms of whose job he takes, this is what's very so confusing because I, I was whining all offseason about, man, that offensive line. We had the most hit quarterback in the entire league, and we brought back all 12 guys, mm -hmm. like the starters in the depth. We didn't change anything. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard for me to hand out any lollipops for bringing in a guy for a workout in August. Um, like that doesn't really trip the trigger for me. Mm -hmm. I, I reached out to Cody Roark, who does Locked On Broncos, to ask, like, what's the scoop on it? Like, why is this guy unsigned? And he basically said, yeah, had a good rookie, rookie year, but struggled a whole bunch with communication, got physically outplayed by three techs a whole bunch, and his last three years were not as good. And then he had that big blowout on the sideline with Brett Rapine, if you remember that, around Christmas time last year. Um, that whole package, I think, has made him maybe not as plug and play of a starter as he thought he was. And so he wanted money that he wasn't seeing on the market. And then suddenly it's July and you're going, Oh my God, I'm missing out on camps. Let me call up my old O-line coach. <laughs> that would be my guess for how this, this is going down as well. I mean, we know this, you know, Chris Cooper knows this guy he's unsigned. Let's bring him in see what's up. 
Yeah, I was a fan of him coming out of Kansas State. Uh, position flexibility to be able to play right tackle or guard kind of always been super appealing. Known for being a solid pass blocker, at least per PFF, average to below average in the run game, I guess, if you had to summarize him in a nutshell. Um, just knowing the current state of Brian O'Neill, right? Seems to be on track for week one, but you never know. And then the fact that Ezra Cleveland, he's a free agent next year. I just wonder if this is a case of the coaches maybe just not liking what they're seeing from the backup right tackle battle between Oliudo and Vidarian Lowe. I know he's been a little dinged up last week. And then they bring in two other guys last week, Bobby Evans and Jack Snyder. Uh, Sam, what's your take, I guess, on this offensive line carousel taking place the last seven, eight days? And if Reisner is brought in, just how much better do you feel about the overall rotation and the depth going into the season? Yeah, well, Reisner's been at the NFL level exclusively a left guard. He he had more tackle flexibility coming out of college, but it's been four years now. So I don't know if they can credibly assume that he'd be a swing tackle fit. I think he'd be an interior fit. Um, and, you know, even at right guard, that's a position he hasn't played at the NFL level, too. And that's where the puzzle doesn't entirely make sense, because who was the weak link last year? Obviously, Ed Ingram, 58 pressures allowed for reference. Reisner, for his warts, has never allowed more than 30 in a season. Um, I, I got to think that that would be a sizable improvement at right guard if you could assume that level of play would transfer from left guard to right guard. Um, at worst, if you sign Reisner, and if the price is right, I don't know why you wouldn't. Like I don't know why you would uh, not invest a million or $2 million to have someone that would give you an upgrade over Chris Reed. Um, maybe an upgrade over Ed Ingram, and certainly insurance if somebody on the inside like Cleveland got hurt. Um, because Chris Reed uh, does not have the starting track record of Dalton Reisner. He's injured right now and has a very cuttable salary. So I think that this actually makes sense, and he'd be a very nice piece behind the scenes. And at the right price, you take some of those uh, red flags, like some of the issues, the intangibles like communication and getting in an argument with a teammate, you accept some of that stuff if you're signing him for a million dollars. A guy with almost 4,000 snaps and generally very nice pass blocking grades, I think that would be a really quality piece to have in the mix. I just don't know if he's a four-position kind of guy. Might be more of a, a guard at this point and a guard only. No, I agree. And at least on paper, the only thing holding this offense back would be the offensive line that gave up, again, far too much pressure to Kirk to really get the most out of this offense and the playbook. So I agree. If there's a high-end veteran out there that can come in for cheap, be a potential, maybe a long-term solution for Ezra Cleveland in 2024, maybe why not upgrade the unit while possible early in camp where you can get him acclimated and comfortable with the scheme and the play calls. If the money's right, I think it's a no-brainer. And really to that point too, isn't this why you trimmed all that money in the first place? So you could extend your core guys first and foremost, of course, like, yeah, I get that, but also have some pocket change finally to play with if you see some value out there to be had in free agency at a position of potential weakness at least from a depth scenario uh use it or lose it right luke i mean i don't know the details of the daniel deal and how much they want to front load on that thing but like last week they had 18 million or so to play with i i believe correct me if i'm wrong why not use some of that on some much needed depth and potential starter uh what's the plan i guess with some of this cap money that they save going into this season well, yeah, and uh, bringing in Reisner for a workout implies that if 
that they do have some plan for how to get him signed if they wanted to. And it also, again, it depends on how much he wants. Does he think that he should be paid as a, you know, bona fide plug and play starting guard? There might be some disconnect there. And I'm just totally speculating. I don't know where that's going. Mm -hmm. um, my guess is we don't we still don't have full details on the Hunter deal in terms of how much is bonus and how much is salary and all that yet. Right. Uh, so my guess is that they have kicked enough of that cap down the road uh, to get Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson done, whatever their structures for that are. And once those three deals are done, we'll say, oh, cool, that look at how cleanly that fits into the puzzle. Maybe with a little bit extra for something for someone like uh, like Dalton Reisner. But if it were me, if I got him in the building, I think the best move, I'm, I'm with Sam a little bit, that there's a reason he hasn't played tackle at all in the NFL. Like, I don't think, I, I think that that might just be, he played it in college, but he might just not have that like a lot of tackles do. And they, I, I don't know, have his arm length in front of me, but I would guess that there's something like that going on where playing him at guard is probably better, but I would cross train him at right guard and have him switch between both and say, okay, you're going to be our swing guy. If someone gets hurt, if someone sucks, then we can plug you in. We're not going to do this as a, as a true bona fide camp competition, right? If they were going to do that, they would assign somebody in March, but Hey, if someone gives up five sacks in a game and we got to pull him, we want to have somebody healthy to put in right now. That's an undrafted free agent or like Jack Snyder, uh, depending on the health of Chris Reed. So it kind of makes sense for them to go look for some depth that's a little bit more serious. And then, yeah, you are kind of pushing those guys. And hey, Ed Ingram, if you are a total catastrophe for five weeks, then we, we can do this. But it, trying to think like Quasi a little bit. And he talks all the time about decision making under uncertainty, thinking probabilistically. I want to be guarded against scenarios like Ed Ingram gets hurt, Ezra Cleveland gets hurt, Ezra Cleveland gives up five sacks. I want to be guarded against having to just toss him right back out there because the next best guy is on the practice squad. You know what I mean? Or is a, a, a another tackle convert that's Oli Udo or Blake Brandell or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is a whole lot more meaningful than signing Bobby Evans to try to be a swing guard tackle that, and they already threw him into the second team at left guard and left tackle. And, and if you look at his track record, it doesn't hold a candle oh, yeah. to what Dalton Reisner has been able to do. I know that he's got a Rams connection, but uh, I think I'd still prefer Reisner. So like having said all that, having advocated for Reisner, and I think that it would be a, a quality pickup, especially in a depth role, he'd be overqualified for it. What are we missing here? Was this just a matter of, the free agent offers didn't match his perceived worth and he just dragged his feet too long and got himself in a pickle. Think. Like what, what exactly are we missing? Because I think that the offensive line play in the league is so mediocre on so many teams that wouldn't enough franchises be craving the consistency. Someone like Reisner who at during free agency was 27 years old Four consecutive years, nary an injury, with pretty good pass blocking grades, not a lot of pressures allowed. So what what is the disconnect here? Why is he in this position? That's that's what I want to know. And the only thing that concerns me. Yeah, a lot of good points. I like the idea and the fact, Luke Brown, you mentioned it, maybe cross-training him at left guard and right guard just to prepare yourself. And then you're also cross-training Blake Brandel as well at left tackle and left guard. And I just feel like, you know, it's crazy. Just the addition of one guy, but being a veteran guy who's, again, started 62 games can make you feel so much better just about your plan B and your depth going into a long gauntlet 17-game season. Uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. No word yet, but... 
as we've seen before, sometimes once you get a guy in town, these guys can get a deal done quickly. And who knows, Reisner could be out in purple on the practice field by the end of the week if all goes well. Uh, rest assured, we'll keep you posted with any news revolving around this situation all week long right here on Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network. All right, coming up, training camp, winners and losers from practice number five. But first, quick reminder, don't forget we're presented by FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of Locked On, America's number one sports book and official sports book partner of the MLB twins on the struggle bus guys getting swept by the Royals this weekend. They had a day off yesterday. They traveled to St. Louis for a fresh start versus the Cardinals tonight. Pablo Lopez on the mound current line sitting at twins minus 120 over under currently sitting at seven and a half. Get in on all the action at fanduel.com slash locked on. And remember if you're a new customer, get 10 times your first wager and bonus bets back up to $200 for free. Just download the easy to use FanDuel app and get your winnings instantly. Money lines, parlays, prop bets. FanDuel's got everything you need to bet in the entire MLB season. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel with $200 in free bonus bets back today. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, Sam, I want to start with you because you were there up close and personal yesterday for practice number five, the first practice with Daniil Hunter finally out in action. So let's start on the defensive side of the ball with him first and foremost. You heard KOC and Flores up at the podium talk about what it means to get number 99 back on the field. Uh, Did you feel an energy shift at all with the team just knowing they got one of their core pieces back yesterday? And I guess any timetable you would expect them to actually start doing something more than walkthroughs with Daniil Hunter? And I guess when he does too, like what's the biggest change or difference you expect to see with the front seven rotation once Daniil Hunter's finally back in the mix. Yeah, I, I think that it was a, a nice day to get him back in the fold because it was the day that pads came on. So everybody kind of needed that boost to, to get the energy up after, the, even though they didn't have pads, they had four long practices in the hottest time of the year. So I think that took a lot out of people. They had a day off and then Daniil's back in the mix. That was cool to see and good for the team. The coaches were obviously very excited. I think that KOC and Flores said the word excited like half a dozen times during their brief press conference where they addressed the Daniil Hunter uh, restructure. But Daniil, I think, is on an acclimation ramp to get ready for joint practices, which are about two weeks away. So I think Daniil is going to ramp it up from here to there and then be full go for joint practices. I would guess he'll be a limited participant in 11-on-11s here before long. Maybe not this week. Might wait until next week. But uh, they're not going to stress him whatsoever, just as they're not stressing Brian O'Neill whatsoever. Remember, Brian O'Neill passed his physical, but he still isn't really practicing just because they have no desire to put a player like that in harm's way. Uh, So they're going to give Daniil all the time he needs. It's a very player-friendly camp. But once he does get back, Luke, I think the biggest winner here is Marcus Davenport, without a doubt. I mean, Mm -hmm. now having Daniil Hunter being the obvious number one guy that's probably going to absorb a lot of those double teams, a lot of that attention. Now Marcus Davenport, who needs a little a little confidence builder this year, right? He wants to go against some, uh, you know, s- second or like the number two tackle on a team and not have to face double teams all the time. He needs to get on the board with a couple sacks early in the year, and he'll be a huge beneficiary now 
Uh, biggest loser in all this might be the bottom of that edge rushing depth chart, the Luigi Villains or the Patrick Joneses of the world who are probably salivating and thinking, oh, I'm like third in line here. And now they might be on the bubble. They might not be able to make the team because Daniil Hunter is on the roster. But that front four or front five, I should say, with the two edges and the three inside, it, it feels a whole lot better. And I want to kick it to Braun because, Braun, you were ready to jump off the cliff <laughs> if Daniil Hunter wasn't on this team. You were willing to pack it in, don't watch the games, go fly a kite instead, um, just tune in for the next draft. How do you feel now? Right. Well, that, that would have been such a move because of how bleak. I mean, if, if Marcus Davenport's your best guy and then you've got competition between like DJ Wanham and Patrick Jones, it's so unserious. That feels like a team rolling into the season without any intention of competing, which is very un-Vikings, right? The Wilfs wouldn't allow that kind of thing. So I always kind of felt like a Daniil Hunter trade, like, OK, you'd have to give us, you know, two first round picks or something. You know, we would have to get your... And one of them would have it would have to be like Arizona giving us theirs and then Houston's <laughs> like and then now we've yeah. got top five picks, you know, let's play um, that that would always felt like the way a trade had to go and something it had to give with the contract. So this feels like the likeliest outcome happened, um, which is nice, but it also means like, yeah, it kind of pushes everybody down the line a little bit. So now Patrick Jones and DJ Wanham can just be rotational guys. And that's where they're that's what they've been their whole time here in Minnesota. And we don't have to upset that status quo or ask any more of them. I the my opinion of the defensive line, I'm still, I think, a little bit lower on the interior than everybody else. I love Harrison Phillips. I think Kyrie's Tonga is a little more inconsistent than he gets credit for. I think he got a lot of hype last year because he was a waiver pickup. So it was kind of, oh, he's doing so well mm -hmm. for what we paid for him. But now right. we, we need that guy to start every single snap. I'm a little more worried about that. And Dean Lowry has other in, has similar inconsistencies. So I'm not sure if we get a great game out of all these guys all the time. Um, I, I would love to be proven wrong there. And I also think those guys are more susceptible to competition than they're getting credit for. There's some young up and comers. You know, if if Asezi Otomowo suddenly has a, a god tier camp and he's he's killing it, is he going to be able to steal one of those jobs? I think that's fully possible. Um, so th that's where I'm at. But yeah, I think without Daniil Hunter, it truly would feel like, okay, so we're just punting the season and we're just getting Kirk off the books and then we're going to really s start to be a real team next year. All right. Um, but it, that I, I, I don't think that that opinion is far from the Vikings opinion of the situation. So I always felt like it would take a lot to get them to agree to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, you heard Flores say yesterday, okay, whether it's a two point stance or a three point stance, either way, he wants Daniil Hunter moving forward and rushing the passer as much as possible. Uh, Luke, he kind of pointed out and shed some light. Like he likes to ask some of his guys, their personal preferences when it comes to how to best utilize them and their skill sets. First of all, love that. Still a little salty. Norv Turner didn't do that with Cordero Patterson when he was here. But I don't know if that's just for the veterans or what, but when you hear that, is there a guy or two just on defense you immediately think of and say, man, I hope they use this guy this way because that's how you really maximize this guy's skill set. You don't need to go through the entire depth chart, but just one or two guys that clearly are best suited to work a certain way and do certain things for Brian Flores. Yeah, Lewis Seen. I, I yeah. think the, he was a, probably the worst victim of the Ed Donatel, you need to read a thousand things before you can do anything kind of problem. I mean, we we had guys like Harrison Smith and Ke Eric Kendricks, you know, a decade-long veterans 
who were slow to break on things because they were still reading the play. Imagine that with a rookie learning a new scheme. Like that was always going to be super hard for him. And I think that was part of what made his start so slow. And then he gets hurt and then it all compounds. But for him at Georgia, he was be up top and see the play and go trigger downhill on it. Right. That that was how Georgia did their their safety play. Um this is a, a scheme that can have him do the same thing. And we have seen some of it. We saw him get that interception on it looked like two invert, which is exactly that. You're, you start from a safety alignment. You trigger downhill right at the snap because you're playing an underneath zone. And then you keep your eyes on the quarterback. And if the ball comes, go get it. That explosiveness and athleticism, that sort of assignment was perfect for him. You can't call two invert every play, obviously. But that sort of thing that, you know, rotating safety is giving him assignments that he knows where he's headed before the snap. And he doesn't have to sit there and go, OK, what's the quarterback doing? What's the running back doing? What's the wide receiver? Oh, the ball's thrown. You know, that I think put him way behind. This is Lewis scene stands to gain a lot here. Uh, and I think we've already seen it with just how fast he's flying around the field, like everybody's saying, right, Sam? Yeah, the the interception on Saturday, which has been circulated around social media. Mm -hmm. I asked Brian Flores yesterday specifically, I said, like, what did you like about that interception? And he said, well, it's clear that Lewis is processing things before the snap. The stuff you don't see is what I like going on. And obviously it takes a good diagnostic to identify what's going to happen there and crash down to the flat. Uh, and then he said just this, the way people celebrated for Lewis scene. I think that they're kind of trying to rally around this guy coming back from a horrific leg injury. So that's obviously someone that you'd like to see deployed a little more, too. And then the obvious one is his you know, partner in crime, Harrison Smith, who last year was deployed in such a passive way that neutralized all of his best traits. I think if the if you ask Harrison Smith, if Brian Flores gets him in a room, just the two of them, Smith is going to say, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be moving forward like Daniil. Move me forward too. Move me up in the box. And hey, occasionally, yeah, I'll drop back in coverage. But um, Harrison Smith needs to go back to doing Harrison Smith things this year. Daniil Hunter needs to go back to doing Daniil Hunter things. And uh, and I think that just doing those two simple little tweaks will already like improve this defense by a little bit. Yeah, so glad you called out those safeties and Lewisine specifically because getting him moving downhill like he was used in college and what made him so special at Georgia, I know would be huge for him and his progression, development, and just getting on the field. Also, I know a lot of people are also buzzing about Brian Osamwa too, starting to just maybe see that sideline to sideline speed and being used as a blitzing linebacker, starting to see that speed moving downhill, I guess, as much as possible. Um, all right, Sam, winners and losers from day five. Let's keep rolling with the defense. Pull out the notebook, lay it on us. I don't know where you want to start. I know a little birdie told me it was Makai Blackman, not Jawan Williams, with the first team nickel in the red zone portion of 11s. Not sure if you can confirm or deny what you saw, but uh, where do you want to start with the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, well, on Black. Yeah, it wasn't all day that mm -hmm. he was with that first team, but he did do some drills with the first teams. And I thought it in the red zone was a little curious because usually you want your bigger nickels, your bigger bodies in the those tight quarters like the Vikings used to bring J. Ron Kirsten in those situations. But good to get Blackman that experience. I was actually surprised they hadn't rotated more at corner up to this point. Uh, and again, not Andrew Booth. Blackman getting that chance, which is just another another curious knock on Andrew Booth Jr. Um, guys, I know he's a rookie, five practices in. 
Jaron Hall is off to a Kellen Mondian start. I'm sorry. Oh no. I'm I'm sorry. I thought he had like one good day, one really bad day. I don't see. I disagree on the good day. I don't oh, know. Okay. I don't know. Like, yeah, Sam's the, always kind of you know been a little tight-lipped about when he heard the good reports from that good practice. Ah, that's not exactly what I saw. I know there's a lot to absorb out at practice, but yeah, some conflicting reports as far as maybe Jaron Hall wasn't as special or as great as uh, maybe earlier reported. Is that right, Sam? I yeah. Like I I think that sometimes the reports are based on a good play from the day. Like sure. you make one, one good throw. And that's okay. the only he, thing anyone sees on Twitter. Yeah. That's yeah, certainly right. where I'm at before right. I actually have been able to get to one. Like I, I, I remember a great throw he made to Thayer Thomas. Okay. But I also can, I can instantly think of about five overthrows. He's been missing high a lot. Um, kind of airmailing people. A couple of those have resulted in interceptions too. And yesterday, Nick Mullins out with a personal issue, undisclosed or a family matter. Uh, Jaron Hall for the first time kind of thrown into the fire with the second team. And, uh, you know, yes, you, you like his mobility. You don't want to see him tucking and running too much. Usually that means that he's not seeing the read or he's not, you know, being decisive typically. Um, and there was a lot of that interception to Harrison Smith made a couple good throws, but again, like the body of work for, for Hall has been pretty negative in my opinion so far. And that exacerbates, I think his lack of size or exact it's exacerbated by his lack of size. He's probably uh, realizing that, you know, having Kyrus Tonga bearing down on you with his hands in the <laughs> air, that's going to cut off a lot of angles. So I've uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pumping the brakes on Jaron Hall and all the hype we had going into camp about, you know, what he could be. I just want to see him be competent. And uh, I don't think he's been great so far. Plenty of time to change my mind. And and honestly, he's going to get all year to, to try to yeah. figure this out to become more of a student. He doesn't need to know it now, but it's not as if he's uh, threatening Nick Mullins at all, in my opinion, right now. Sam, you mentioned Nick Mullins was absent with a personal matter. So he jumps up to the second team. Was that his first time you saw him with the second team? Yes. Okay. That yes, was he's been time. squarely okay. with the threes, and he's had sure. limited reps too. With he's probably had a third of the reps of Mullins, so this was a big day for Jaron Hall. Um, I mm. and honestly, I, I hope Mullins' family and everything's okay. Mm. Wouldn't mind seeing another day of Jaron Hall with the twos. For I sure. think that'd be good for him. Get those and reps. Informative, yeah. Higher on the panic meter, Jaron Hall after hearing what you just heard, or Andrew Booth Jr. Where are you at on that? Oh, Booth for sure. I, my panic meter i just did this unlocked on vikings too because someone was asking oh. me a similar question uh my my deal on andrew booth is after watching going back and re-watching what he did in the preseason against the bills against the cowboys understanding he was hurt against the cowboys um it's rough he's not playing very well uh and so seeing him come out be stuck with the twos like what i saw there is there's a lot of little things that need to be cleaned up there's a, there's work to do uh so as frustrating as it might sound he's a second rounder in his second year we got to start getting something from him still very much a work in progress uh in in terms of jaron hall for me he needs to be to the point where next year you can go into camp and it's not trivial to beat him in a camp competition for a rookie that is all i need from him i don't need him to win a camp competition and even be a starter i just need it to be meaningful at least a little bit to beat him in a competition i need him to be joe williams 
at quarterback next year where a rookie can come in and say, oh, cool, you beat Joan Williams. All right, we know you're 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 something here. That is all I need from him. He's got a year to figure that out. We got lots of runway. Andrew Booth, it's like, OK, it's time to start being a real player. Uh, and there's still a, a lot of, I would say, questionable decisions in terms of technique and coverage. Like there's a lot of decisions that you get to make as a corner that aren't necessarily up to what the coverage call is or what the corner or what the D-backs coach tells you, you know, how far off you you actually want to line up, what technique you choose to play in particular assignments. And Booth seems to always take the one that is the most, like, high-risk, high-reward, and he just doesn't quite have the consistency to cash those checks. And so it leads to stuff like Justin Jefferson smoking him for a 55-yard bomb and um, all kinds of lowlights going up and down and mm-hmm. when you're with the twos and you're getting low lights we we got work to do he's got time he's got his whole rookie contract but i i honestly don't expect anything from andrew booth until i mm-hmm. i see something else from him in camp and i'll watch him when i actually get to watch him but i honestly if if they had to start a game if they had to start the season like today i wouldn't expect to see andrew booth at all unless we got injuries i want to shift gears just to the running backs here real quick because it's still crazy for me to see just where's the AJ Rose or the rock Thomas? Like just to see all four one. of these running backs right at camp. We've seen all three backups, Ken a Chandler. And yesterday it sounds like Dwayne McBride all get some reps with the second team. Let's take our preseason fantasy bias out of the equation. How do you guys hope this rotation shakes out by the time we get to week one? Is there a, an ideal scenario or a guy you'd like to see get more snaps more than the others? I'm curious to see what we uh, get from Dwayne McBride. I heard he had a, a rough low light against, was it Asamoah, like trucked him really bad. Um, but, you know, that's just one rep. So I, I want to see more from him. My prediction going in was that after Madison, it would be Ty Chandler and then McBride and then Wong would probably not get much run from scrimmage and just be a kicker turner. Um, so I, I guess that would be where I'm at, too, because I don't I haven't seen much one way or another to change where I'm at there. But yeah, of course, you know, you want to see the guy they spent a draft pick on come in and actually do something. Uh, ascend that depth chart a little bit. But I don't know. Kenny Longwood going into his third year. I'm not going to sleep on the on him, maybe quickening up his reads and, and the game slowing down for him a little bit, too. For sure. Sam, you, you've you yeah. been there five practices mm-hmm. in. What does it just feel like KOC's game plan is with these uh, running backs rotation? Yeah. So Longwood's gotten a surprising amount of second team work. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Yeah, they're in like a competition, t- right? Yeah, and they've been very... I, I think the competition is between Wu and Chandler. I don't know if yeah. McBride is part of it. Um, I'm also basing that on Wes Phillips struggled to remember McBride's name when he was rattling <laughs> off the, the running great. backs. He oh, no. him. He's like, yeah. And the young kid, uh, 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 Dwayne McBride. Yeah. Oh my God. Unless he's uh, just oops. really slow playing it. And it's just all a reverse psychology going on. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. It's, it's a <laughs> big, needs a cup of coffee. Let him go. Right. right. It's a ruse. No, I, and I want to say, I think it was McBride too. Um, and this is more, I just want to talk about Ivan Pace Jr. Let's go. He shouldn't be doing this, but Ivan Pace Jr. like shot a gap and straight up tackled McBride in the backfield for a TFL. And you shouldn't be tackling anybody, but he did. He like had to make the play because it was such a good play. And I was pumping my fist. I'm like, yes, Luke Inman told me about Ivan Pace the first day that they signed him. And here he is. 
doing his thing. Don't you wish um, you could buy stock in rookies, Sam, and like yes. invest and like buy low and like UDFAs and like you know make some real money off of them? Oh, I've got the official Third best linebacker on the NFT. Team. Let's go. Yeah, I've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the NFT. Um, <laughs> the rookie no, card. Yeah. The yeah. Um. So my point on on Wang Wu, by the way, I continue to be unimpressed with his hands. Um, being a pass catcher isn't everything, but I would like to see him more consistently hang on to the ball. This goes back to last year, where in joint practices, he was terrible against the 49. I think he had mult like three drops. Mm. And I saw I saw that again recently. And I thought, man, like this is the absolutely the guy you want in open spaces. He's got to hang on to the ball. And if there's any issue in pass protection with him as well, between that and the drops, you don't that's not the back you want on the field. So I kind of think Chandler's going to end up being that number two guy. That's just my gut. Um, even though it seems like he has he's the one who's coming off the pace, having to kind of unseat uh Wang Wu, who's got one more year of experience. And I at this point, I don't know if McBride is in that competition. We'll see. Could change. We should touch on those wide receiver group just real quick here. I mean, you know, when it comes to the competition outside those top three, four guys, you can talk about Jordan Addison, of course, you know, just how he's looked so far, maybe separating from the pack, but anybody else separating themselves from the pack in the early goings here through five days in this, what feels like now this loaded group of guys behind the starters right now. Yeah. So, um, so I'm, I'm tossing Rager because I still don't think he makes the team. So you've got your five, right? You've got your five, um, including Addison and Powell. I think Powell is going to make it for special teams reasons. So there's your five. Um, six and seven in my eyes right now are Tristan Jackson and Thayer Thomas. Mm-hmm. Those guys have by far outshone the rest of the of the bunch. Tristan Jackson's been been quite good. Thayer Thomas in you know again he's catching passes from Mullins and and Hall most of the time uh he's made some really good plays i think those two have separated themselves by a large margin um haven't seen really anything from Cephas Johnson from Garrett Mogg. uh it it's Tristan Jackson season and Thayer Thomas may not have a roster spot available but i think he's going to make a a pretty strong practice squad bid through uh you know, one, once they get down to cut day. That's where I'm at with the receivers. Uh, Ola B.C. Johnson, then it was like Chad BB. I feel like we've always mm-hmm. had these, you know, kind of developing late round or UDFA kind of guys uh, with the crisp route running, not the big alpha-bodied boundary kind of guys, but in the rotation trying to develop. Feels like Thayer Thomas could be that guy over the next couple of years. Meanwhile, I feel like I've heard Tristan Jackson's name for like seven years. Where are we? Is it his <laughs> third year? And and how many years does he have left? I guess more importantly, to make it on the practice squad. Uh, yeah. So so this is his second year. Um, and he signed a futures deal, I believe, from last year. So yeah. I I think practice that again, squad incumbent. Yeah, God. practice squad incumbent. One of like the four or five guys they brought back. I you know practice squad is a lot more fluid now. I mean, you can you can be on the practice squad as a veteran now, and that's that's legal. But I think that. He's almost performing well enough that I wonder if he'd get claimed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what he does in the preseason. That's kind of the determining factor sometimes. Like, would you res- would you reserve a sixth wide receiver spot just for Tristan Jackson to not get claimed on waivers? You might not. You might take that gamble, right? You might risk losing him because you're not going to reserve that spot. Um, but I think I, we have I, recorded evidence that Sam would do exactly that. 
<laughs> I think we what? did that a few weeks ago. <laughs> that exact what? decision happened. Um, I think it was Powell over Rager too. I don't think your uh, your group has changed. I yeah, I think I think Rager's not going to make this team. And and why would he? When you have someone like Tristan Jackson ready to to step well, up. Well, hey, we always joke about like you know trying to get into the psychology and tap into the heads of what Vikings put up on Viking.com for the highlights of practice. Well, yesterday they had Tristan Jackson with it looked like the play of the day with a one-handed, uh, full reach catching a ball down the sideline. Can't remember who it was on. Probably somebody on the second or third team, but um, that was definitely the big splash play they put up on uh, Vikings.com from practice number five for sure five practices in guys night scrimmage on thursday you got preseason versus seattle right around the corner the pads are now on what are you guys looking forward to now coming up or, or luke what are you most looking forward to seeing and observing now that you're going to be live at tco these next few days so i was super stoked to see if all this jalen naylor hype was real um but now he's he's on the on the sideline with mm -hmm. something so i hope that he comes back in time for me to see it before i gotta leave but otherwise, I'm excited to see, in particular, the like O-line, D-line, one-on-ones, um, even though that's sort of a lot. There's not a lot of question marks. Like, we know who Ezra Cleveland is. We know who Garrett Bradbury is. So seeing O-line, D-line, one-on-ones is not going to tell us a lot, but I still just, it's just my favorite and I love it. Um, I want to see where Jaron Hall is at. I, I want to, like, check on a lot of these narratives for myself, you know? Right now, I'm going off of what other people report. I'm going off of, well, I saw one tweet of, you know, Lewis seen making an interception. He must be having a good camp. I want to check on all that stuff and mm -hmm. really see something more holistic, which once you get to day three, day four that you've been watching, that's when you can really kind of say, okay, yeah, you know, he's doing something consistent and you can get a little bit less wrapped up in one player or another. And it helps. That's what, what I'm most stoked on. Plus I'm really excited to see some of the run plays that they, that they're uh, starting to install They're They're, the offseason implied a lot of change schematically for the run. Not a huge overhaul. They're still doing zone stuff, but different kinds of zone stuff. Um, and I'm excited to see just what what sort of staples they're willing to drill in front of the fans will tell us a lot of what the shape of the run game will be over the course of the whole season. Yeah, KLC, yeah it, it feels like it's taking it personal this offseason, trying to improve this run game between Josh Oliver yeah. and then everything else they're talking about. CJ Ham and they're sense. doing all the Shanahan stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Sam, I cut you off. Go ahead. What are you looking yeah, for? Yeah, that's right. No, I I think Oliver is going to be a baller, by the way. I, I just love... Big boy. Watch. He is so huge. I mean, it's like having a sixth offensive lineman out there. Mm. I am... It, it, I, I just want to double down too that like putting the pads on ushers in this almost like a fresh evaluation period where mm -hmm. if guys that were standing out without the pads can back that up with the pads, that's a pretty big feather in their cap. A lot of guys disappear when the pads come on, particularly on defense and even sometimes receivers too have a harder time moving with the pads. Uh, Tristan Jackson, who by the way, caught that pass yesterday on Jawan Williams. Um, can, can keep playing this well with with the extra weight, maybe having to battle through, you know, a little more uh, heat and sweat and just having to, to push through a little harder. Yeah, that that's informative, too, if they can keep it up. So let's see if the narratives that existed in week one continue into week two or if some of these names we've been talking about kind of fall off the map. Let's end with this one because this is the time of the year where people get their first taste of what this team could really look like now on a broad scale for the 2023 season. So just knowing what you know, seeing what you've seen, 
What's the best and worst case scenarios for outcomes for this Vikings team in year two of KOC? Break it up into both offense and defensive lens. Start with you, Sam. Yeah. So offensively, I think that, and you know, again, I'm extending what I've seen in camp like forward in, in an irresponsible way. Kirk Cousins, I think, looks great. Justin Jefferson has had his best start to camp that I've seen. Um, I think the offense, best case scenario, we could be looking at a top five offense. We might be. That offensive line still scares me. But I think the offense has a lot of upside potential if those two guys I just mentioned are indeed having some of their best seasons. Um, defensively, Daniil's back in the mix. Okay, that's that's vital. That is critical. I, I'm liking the look aesthetically of the secondary a whole lot more than last year. They take up a lot of space. They're bigger. I expect them to tackle better and I think help the run defense with the perimeter run force, right? Because as we learned, just having big bodies in the middle ensures nothing in your run defense. If Michael Pierce and Dalvin Tomlinson could not give you a good run defense, well, there's other factors at play, obviously. So if your guys on the perimeter can tackle, have a better run defense, that should help your pass rush and everything else. So maybe it trickles down from there. We'll see. But that's the rosy lens, right? So I think that you could be looking at maybe like a 20th ranked defense. That'd be huge. And if your offense is top five, then you're in business. That's the positive lens. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll cut it off there and let Bron say some words because I think that's what you could convince yourself of just watching camp so far. I mean, tis the season, right? Everybody's got at least 10 games and a shot at the division. I think this yeah. they their ceiling is 13 wins and their floor is 13 losses. Like I, anything <laughs> could happen here. Um, this could be a total catastrophe of a season if the wrong guy gets hurt or everything could line up perfectly and they could just win 13 games and run away with the division, be done with it by Thanksgiving, basically again. Um, it, anything can happen. And I think that's part of what makes it fun. But yeah, looking at the offense, like it's hard for me to look at Justin Jefferson and think, hmm. I don't know what we're going to get out of that. Like, no, we're going to get an awesome season out of Justin Jefferson for as long as he's healthy and available. Like, of course. Um, and it seems like Kirk Cousins has been on that same wavelength, right? Now, now going into year three or year four together, like that's awesome uh, and will pay dividends. It always does. But if you look on the defensive side, like I could see us losing a lot of games a la, you know, the 2005 Vikings, where every game was every time they lost, it was 41 to 35 and they just couldn't quite keep up and the defense couldn't get anything together. And, it, you know, you got a dumb penalty at the wrong time. And that was what anybody always talks about. Um, I, I look at the defense and I see, you know, look, this is not a roster that I'm particularly excited. About. I'm not stoked on Jordan Hicks. I'm not stoked on Dean Lowry. Um, there's a lot of spots um, along the roster that I think they could have done a better job of trying to improve. I think the corners are this gigantic question mark. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that can go wrong on defense. And it's just a matter of every game. My question for, you know, on crossover Thursday with the other locked on host is going to be, all right, how are you at countering blitzes? Because Brian Flores is going to blitz. And I don't care if that guy has a PFF grade of 20.8. He's unblocked and he's hurtling toward your quarterback. How do you deal with that? Um, if you can deal with that, if you are a team that's good at dealing with that, I don't see really how the Vikings match up against anyone. Uh, there's just too many weaknesses. Everyone will be able to find a spot. 
Um, it's just a matter of, do you have a quarterback that, say, holds the ball too long or panics under pressure? Um, then I will say, okay, well, you might actually really struggle then. And it doesn't matter that you can get your, you know, your move tight end lined up against Jordan Hicks and run out routes at him all day. You can't get the ball out. That's what I feel like the shape of the positive outcome for the defense. Like Sam said, you know, if they're going to be a 20th, 18th ranked defense, it's that there's a lot of games where that happens where, hey, you know, it doesn't really matter that we had, you know, Caleb Evans on Devonta Smith, because for whatever reason, our blitzes really worked and Jalen Hurts was under pressure 60% of the time and the offense fell apart. Like, that's the way we sneak out those games against those really good teams early in the season. Um, and then I, I think the most optimistic thing is if you're a team with a quarterback that holds the ball too long and doesn't do well against pressure, well, you might be in the NFC North because that's Justin Fields like to a T, right? That's always been Jared Goff is how does he process post-snap when things are changing and the bullets are flying. And hey, Jordan Love also inexperienced as a starter. We don't really know that about him, but it could be the case for him too. So that might be a way to go and win the division, get to the playoffs, win it you know, back-to-back for the first time since what, 2008, 2009? That'd be pretty cool. Or... Mm-hmm. They all figure out our blitzes, and then suddenly our season comes down to how good is Joe Juan Williams in coverage. I, I don't really like that scenario. <laughs> that might be the one where we're talking about, we're, we're trolling tankathon.com, looking at draft order for the back half of the season. Yeah, well said. Good projections by both of you. I think uh, not too much to add. I think offensively, you're right, Sam. Like potential top five offense for sure. You swap out Thielen for, you know, a first round rookie, Bolitnikoff award winner. You lose Dalvin, but you hope. All this emphasis on KOC is talked about improving the efficiency of the run game. Uh, hopefully that improves that run game as well. And, and, and the offense has got to be the identity of this team. No question. We know that. So top five offense, probably best case for me. Worst case, you got a pure pocket passer who relies on this clean protection and a clean pocket to step up into and scan the field. If they show any signs of what we got last year, God forbid, somehow worse, then I could see the wheels falling off real quick. And in that same realm, too, if the blocking up front can't move some blockers in the run game, Kirk has to keep lining up in those third and longs again. That could spell trouble, too. Um, On defense, yeah, best-case scenario, Flores taps into his studs, right? Like, maximizes every ounce of Harrison Smith, uh, Byron Murphy, Daniil Hunter to the point they put up Pro Bowl type of seasons. Meanwhile, the youth movement probably learns on the fly, but we watch the system and the scheme and Brian Flores drawing up weekly game plans, kind of bail them out for the most part and take some pressure off their shoulders. Worst case, Luke nailed it. Like, I mean, the spectrum is so huge. The contrast could be a three and 13 type of season. If a few guys get hurt, right? If the wrong guys get hurt or go down, uh, the young guys start to get plugged in. They look lost and overwhelmed in a new system. You know, my biggest worry, uh, I'm with Luke. I'm low-key, kind of worried about this defensive line. I mean, if they're not able to stop the run or generate enough pass rush to help that secondary cover in the back end, yeah, I, I mean, it wouldn't surprise anybody just looking at the roster on paper to see another bottom five unit, defensively anyways, once again. I think ultimately for me, and it's something neither of you brought up, is the schedule. It's just an absolute gauntlet, guys. I, I, I'm not going to go game by game again, but – the elite quarterbacks they have to play is insane. Five primetime games, which could go either way. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but four division games in your final six weeks, three with the Lions, or excuse me, two with the Lions in the final three weeks. That's, I think, ultimately, if everybody's healthy, right, 
the 2023 seasons ultimately going to come down to, I think, is those division games in the second half of the season. Uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up here, guys? Anything you're most excited about and can't wait to see in practice six specifically today out at TCO just to kick off this uh, 2023 season? I'm excited to follow Luke Braun's tweets. There you go. <laughs> are you, are, yeah, how, how's the angle down there? I feel like Luke Brown might actually have a little bit better view that bird's eye angle. Oh, bird's eye view? He, he's got it much better. He well, so we like it. I could make it better for myself, mm-hmm. but in in the heat wave that we are in, I tend to go to the one shade spot on ground level, which is behind the end zone. So I'm I'm ground level, kind of looking at it from the ground, from behind the goalposts. Uh, Luke Braun's got that elevated view where I think he can see more of what's going on, you know, with the offensive line and in the trenches. Right. I hope I I don't know where the O-line has been doing their thing, but I do want to watch the offensive line a lot. And I they're like in the back corner, like as far away from the fans. Right. Because nobody the fans don't want to see the O-line. Bring binoculars. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe I should try to pick up some of those and watch exactly what they're drilling and what they're doing, because then I can Mm -hmm. probably reverse engineer and get everybody super up to speed on what the run game is, which I'm sure Kevin O'Connell will be very will love me doing. Hey, you know what you don't need binoculars for out there today? The kicking battle of this baby. It's heating up, Sam. Is it heating up? What's the you dial know, turn to here? Where are we at on the stove here? Si- uh, simmering. It's on low. <laughs> okay. They're bare, just little bubbles. Okay. Little bubbles on the surface. No, we we don't have a boil yet. Uh, I'm expecting today another session. I hope there's another session today. Let's let's get this thing ratcheted up. I want to see Hot Pod uh, in a competition. Let's see yeah, what happens. Yeah, give the fans their money's worth out of these tickets. Huh? Uh, can't wait to pick your brain on tomorrow's mailbag episode. Get caught up from day six of camp. Luke, we'll talk Thursday with the Hassan on the football party. Great stuff per usual by both of you. Have fun out there today. Bring some SPF 50, find some shade. And again, we'll have all the training camp and preseason coverage all month long right here on Lockdown Sports Minnesota channel, right here every day on the Minnesota Football Party. That's a wrap today. Remember, like, rate, review, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Join us every day. Another episode of the Football Party, your one-stop shop breakdown of everything Minnesota Vikings. That's Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. Check him out every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, co-host of the Ron Johnson Show. That's Luke <laughs> Braun, host of Lockdown Vikings on Twitter, at Luke Braun NFL. Thanks for tuning into the Football Party, part of the Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network. We're We're back tomorrow with the mailbag edition with Care 11's very own Reggie Wilson. But until then, I'm Luke Inman on Twitter, at Luke underscore Spinman. Signing out. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.